and welcome to A Novel Process, the podcast about what it's really like to write a book. My name is May Jasper. Okay, gang, this is season two, episode three of the podcast where I am writing a novel and every fortnight I make an episode to tell you guys how it's going, except we're not going to do that because we are changing the system. We are changing how things are running and you should all panic because it's going to be terrifying, except it's going to be great. What we're going to do is to give you twice as much content by introducing a second author. Kirstine. Hello. Yes, a second person in the room. I know, unsettling. So, Kirstine is also an author, also writing her first novel, much further along than me, which, you know, is not really a brag, but that's fine. And so what we're going to do is to have episodes from each of us in season two. The episodes will come out weekly, so you'll still get you know, once fortnightly from me, still the same amount of content there, but a whole other book to learn about and and a whole other person to hear their process from. I think it's going to be really interesting. And what we wanted to do kind of first of all, in order to introduce Kirsten to all of you, was to have this episode where there's the two of us here and I'm going to pester Kirsten with questions about her book. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. I'm really excited. So, Let's start off with the obvious. Tell me what's your book called and you have like a like an elevator pitch that you tell people when people ask about it? Look, honestly, that's still something I'm working on. I feel like it should be the simplest question, like what's your book about? But I find it the hardest one to answer just because there's so much I could say. But this is a 20-minute podcast, so I will try to make it short. I think this should be the easiest question to answer, but I often find it the hardest just because there's so much I could say, but I'll try and keep it short. So my novel is called The Traitor's Daughter. And like a lot of fantasy novels that I love, it starts off with a young boy and a prophecy. And this young boy is told that he's going to be both the next and the last king and that he'll be murdered when he's just 24 years old by a lover with green eyes. But from there, that's not actually the main narrative. The main character that we follow is a young woman called Artemis and she has spent her entire life growing up as a prisoner, um, paying for the crimes of generations before her. And really the story is about her character arc and how she will one day lead a rebellion against the king. Cool. Is it a spoiler to ask if Artemis has green eyes? (laughs) <laughs> no, it's all right. You do find out early on she does have green eyes. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, yeah, immediately you might suspect she could be the one. But there's a lot of people with green eyes out there. I imagine there's lots of twists and turns that could happen in the thing. Yeah, exactly. And also I think you're right, like the best fantasy novels certainly um, are not afraid to have like a really obvious this is the prophecy at the start yeah, because it's so much about like how are we going to get there and, and yeah. you know, rather than spoilers, this dude's going to end up being king or this person's a mm. wizard. Yeah, I completely agree. I think prophecy might be a little bit stereotypical for fantasy but I'm just a huge fan of it and I love the way you can kind of play with reader expectations mm. and it just gives like a whole tension to the events that follow too like you know that something bad's going to happen so even if the opening scenes are just you know the main character's everyday life yeah you've kind of you know going through that thinking shit's going to go down eventually yeah yeah, yeah. Was the classic Hitchcock thing, right? He yeah. always talked about suspense as being you can watch somebody have a conversation and then a bomb goes off and that's a surprise, but if you show the bomb under the table yeah. and then do the conversation, that's suspense. It's a formula that works, so why mess with it? And I do think, 
and maybe I'll pick your brain about this as well, I've been very happy to lean into any potential writing trick that I can find, particularly <laughs> when writing my first novel. Yeah. Anything that's going to make it easier. I'm happy to do the most cliched hero's journey. Yes. Yeah. I want that. I want that. I want every step of the way mapped out. I want you to tell me how this is going to feel best. <laughs> Um, because like, sure, you know, people can reinvent the wheel, but also wheels are great. Yeah, no, agreed. And I think you're probably in the same boat as well. Like you need to get familiar with some of the rules before you start picking, choosing which ones you break. Mm. You can't really go out with your first novel and be like, everything is going to be avant-garde and never done before. I don't even know if that's possible anyway. No, I don't think so. I think the trouble is that, yeah, that even if you set out to break all the rules, you would sort of end up following them because a lot of them are just natural in how humans communicate. Cool. So you're doing fantasy instead of sci-fi. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, there's a lot of crossover, but, yeah, it's a slightly different genre, a mm. slightly different thing. And it sounds like you're not doing, like, urban fantasy. And no. No. Like I'm doing, I was describing it to somebody the other day, is I, you could say I'm doing urban sci-fi, but it's really like rural sci-fi. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, that was me. That was, yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. I was going to pretend I had other friends, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, there is some advantages that come with setting something in the real world and some disadvantages, God only I know, but you're inventing a whole world. Yeah. 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 I don't know how to describe it. It's a like rabbit hole that you can disappear down and feel like you're never going to come out of. There's just so much to think about like that I I'd never really written anything that wasn't set in our real world before mm. this and I just didn't expect going in the amount of legwork that goes into like oh I have to create a map. I have to like make that map slightly realistic even though it's a made up world. I this might sound ridiculous, but I didn't realise rivers had to come from mountains. So I had- <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, water flows downhill. Yeah, yeah, it seems really obvious, but in my first map there were just rivers wherever I felt like putting one until someone pointed out to me that that was just silly. There's a lot of work that goes into the world building, but it's also a open book in that sense. You can do whatever you want. You're not set, like the limitations from the real world can be challenges in and of themselves also. yeah. And I think I forget whether I did this on the podcast or whether I've just been having this thing in my head. And the problem with me, of course, is that I also had world building and I still got lost in it for Mm. hours, even though I didn't have to invent most of it. I just had to invent enough that would still make sense in the world. And I feel like both the disadvantage and an advantage of making your own world is that you can keep changing stuff to make it make sense you just end up with a lot more stuff you have to explain I suppose is that yeah have you felt that limitation of oh my god there's so much exposition I might want to die yeah I the exposition thing is my biggest challenge and I'm sure (laughs) we'll see how you feel when you're doing it as well because you know you've got these like for you you've got these alien races you've got Zykov and you need to explain that to the reader at some point right yep it's all you know showing not telling yeah. you don't want to just have these slabs of text you've got to kind of find ways to weave in this world building information into dialogue and it's got to come early enough that the events make sense but it yeah you know you don't want to just throw every piece of information at your readers yeah from the outset you need to kind of weave it that's challenging it is challenging and it's like i um one thing that uh i don't know that i've explicitly said on the podcast before but it's certainly true is that I've changed the book recently so that now 
we discover the aliens along with the characters, mm. which saves me a lot of exposition because yeah. we can find things out with the characters. Smart There's move. still <laughs> a truckload of stuff to do, but it gives you a little bit of a leg up. But it sounds like your main character is someone who lives in this world. Yeah, it's like the there's kind of a history before the events, and I think if you reference that to like a lot of mainstream fantasy like if you think about game of thrones right the targaryens fell before the events of the book mm. but that information is relevant to what happens next and mm. that's slowly weaved in i guess it's similar in that sense there's a whole history mm. behind why the different clans don't like each other why they've been at war all of that kind of thing and weaving that in is just yeah a nightmare yeah yeah, but it helps to make the world feel real, right? And you yeah. Need it. You need it. You also, I imagine, need more than is in the book. Like, by definition, you have to have enough that you feel like there is bits beyond it or you end up inventing something that you don't need and then think, oh, this yeah. is never going to come up and I'll never tell anyone about it. Yeah, there's so many details that I have, like, meticulously researched and gone into that I've realised in hindsight are completely useless. Probably my worst one was I got really obsessed with creating horse breeds. Uh So I wanted there to be, like, a fast horse from somewhere else and whatever. And for no reason in particular, I went down this, like, black hole of research into the genetics of horse colour because I wanted it to be, like, (laughs) realistic what crossbreeds would look like. And then afterwards I was like, this is ridiculous. I've got two pages of notes on, like, how horses can end up being white or dappled and that is just stupid. Like, all that's going to come of that is I'm going to say Artemis has a white horse. I Similarly, I was going through my Scrivener the other day and, and uh, we were talking before about the fact that we both use Scrivener, so you know that it has the ability to have these kind of folders off to one side. Mm. And I have so many hidden folders now full of the most insane thing. And I remembered, I looking through those folders, I remembered that I had got an engineering friend of mine to sit down with me for like two hours to see if I could make an air conditioner without power. In the book. Now, oh, is this the cave issue? <laughs> I almost don't even want to explain to you why it was important. It was very important to me at the time, but is obviously not in any way relevant. And the only upshot is that now I understand like thermodynamics in a way that I didn't. I mean, not a useless piece of knowledge, I suppose. It's to be honest, I often think that I probably shouldn't be writing science fiction because I haven't studied science since year 10. There's a lot of basic science stuff that I'm constantly waiting for someone to tell me is wrong. I had an interview today. I interviewed a guy, a a geologist, and I very hesitantly explained Zykov to him and how I saw it working as an energy source. I just was on tenterhooks waiting for him to say, well, that makes no sense. Um, (laughs) He didn't say that. He may have just been being polite, which is always a fear. But It's almost worse. Yeah. So when you started the book, I let's let's test out the boundaries of how different these podcasts are. <laughs> because based on our previous conversations, I think you are a different style of writer to me, right? You're not yes. you're not the the let's have thousands of folders, let's do thousands of hours of planning and and stuff before you write anything down. That's mm. not you. No, I'm a very uh, kind of impulse writer, I Mm. guess. So I think the terms are like architect or gardener. So (laughs) you're definitely the architect. You plan and plot and, you know, measure out your structure before you build it. And then the whole house collapses anyway, but it's fine. (laughs) 
I kind of throw out seeds and see what happens, I guess. <laughs> I often just kind of have a feel for a character and I'll start writing a scene with them and it I don't write chronologically, which is a bit difficult when you're actually trying to finish a book. Yeah, right. I just because I kind of just know what happens. Roughly. So I don't need to write chronologically because I know what's happened and what's going to happen. So if I feel very inspired to write a battle scene, I'll be like, oh, I'll write that now. But the trouble with that does come now when I'm in the kind of editing stage and I got sidetracked with all this stuff for book two, but I'm like, I need to calm down and finish book one and edit it which I don't want to do. It's much more fun making up all the new stuff than it is going back over and tweaking words. That's fun. So you're working on book two as well. Yeah, I have so much written for book two, more than I should considering I'm still trying to finish book one. I feel like there was some fantasy writer that I heard from somebody where it wasn't even like they intentionally working on book two it's just that they were writing book one and realized oh I'm writing three books at once yeah (laughs) that's exactly what happened I just knew it was never going to be one book when I started I kind of yeah I knew it was going to kind of increase in a scale yeah you know I think if it's that fantasy setting where you start with like a family or character and expands out and results in you know full-on war and rebellion you kind of Oh no! Probably people do write it in one book. I'm probably just making excuses for myself, but no, often so. it does end up being a series, and you follow that character through a few different stages that leads to that endpoint. Yeah, I know for a fact that not all fantasy writers are the kind of gardener type, mm. but I could imagine certainly the ones that end up writing. Even that's not true. I was gonna, about to say certainly the ones that end up writing these huge series maybe have more of a propensity to be gardeners. Yeah, but maybe. I know that Brandon Sanderson. Is on, you know, yeah, team, he's, he's team extreme team plot. architect. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were saying, we had our discussion about the fact that we've both gone through and listened to all of Brandon Sanderson's lectures and they are incredibly useful. So good. Um, yeah, and you find them useful even though you don't like plot like that, huh? I think like I've probably been a bit misleading with the way I describe it. I, In terms of the rough plot, I do know where it's going. Mm. So I know exactly what's happening to my main protagonist, Artemis. Yeah. But there's also kind of eight other primary characters that aren't the main characters, which is messy. I heard my brain hurts thinking about it. Yeah, so there's all these kind of mini subplots and things going on. And sometimes for some of those side characters, I know how they interact or will interact with Artemis, but I've looked at them and been like, to justify giving them a point of view chapter, they need to have their own separate quirks and their own arc. Mm. And that is where I might go in and do some planning believe it or not (laughs) so I'll go and look at them and be like where do they start what incident will change them well I mean also you know everybody exists on a spectrum nobody's Mm. like you know as much as I like to talk about myself (laughs) as being like the the uber architect I'm sure there are people who are much more tiny minutia based than me and I'm sure that everyone exists on a spectrum and everyone has you know the ways that they interact with it I also think I mean again I don't want to spruik Brandon Sanderson stuff too hard but one of the things that I've been finding really useful in the last little while is his thinking about character Mm. and um, uh, in particular and and also his ideas about like promise and process or promise and and progress is what I mean. The promise one's big. I think that's so, so such a simple idea and the idea is that you just like anything like a character or like a narrative thread or anything that you have early on you make a statement about where this is going, Mm -hmm. a promise about what's going to happen. Yeah. And then you keep your audience engaged by showing how you progress towards that. Mm. And I love the simplicity of that because often when I was 
a younger person and a younger writer, I was obsessed with the idea of stakes, and I still am, that you keep people engaged by letting them always know what's at stake, what could yeah. go wrong. And it's, and promise and, and progress are so much simpler because yeah. it is just, it's not even about necessarily what's going to go wrong, but you keep people engaged purely because they can see that something is happening. It's massive. I yeah. think it, and I think it's a really helpful way to think about it if you're writing too. It makes it simpler even though it's, not doesn't lessen the quality at all. No. It probably improves it actually. Yeah. And I've often struggled with the promise and progress thing with mine because I know that it's all about this rebellion, but I'm like, that doesn't happen in book one. So I'm like, <laughs> how do I make sure that I'm adjusting reader expectation to be like going in knowing like this is a journey to that rebellion, but you it's a long journey. Like yeah. buckle up for a few, I don't know, hundred thousand pages till yes. we get there. <laughs> And it's obviously something that can work. Like if I think about Wheel of Time, mm. I know that I dropped out of Wheel of Time, whatever it was, book four, book five, yeah. because I was like, guys, can we reborn this dragon already? Don't worry, I don't go that far. Yeah. Don't <laughs> it's, it's much, much shorter but, than that, I promise. But like, you know, the promise of we're going to have a mystical hero emerge. Like, yeah. By the end of the first book, I know who the mystical hero is. Can he be reborn already? I know, can right? Can we do it? But no. I mean, the I have like a... I love it, but not enough to actually slog through and read it. Like I, I read the first few and I completely appreciate everything about them. Too much world building for yeah. me, too much. I wanted just more action with the characters that I loved most. Yeah. That's why I'm so happy that they did a TV show, which I know sounds too. As a book lover, no. I'm always a big have fan you of. the TV show? Yeah, have you? No, I haven't. Oh, my God, yet. Amazon Prime. Yeah, it's I know. really good. Great. Uh, so in terms of where you're up to in your kind of journey through writing a novel. I said that you were further along than me. You've got to the end of your first draft maybe kind of? Probably at like draft three, I would say, actually. But I'm a bit of a perfectionist and it very well couldn't end up being six drafts before I'm happy with it. At this stage, I, (laughs) I don't know. It's my first time writing a novel, so we'll see what happens. But, yeah, it's it's drafted. It's still early. There's still chapters that are too long. There's still some explanations that need to be padded out. It's that kind of final leg, I guess you'd say. Yeah, which I think is great because it's a real contrast, you know, like you're Mm. you're not finding your story in the same way that I am, right? You're, You're editing. Yeah, And you're potentially at some point, if you get to draft six, like looking at publishing. Hopefully this year would be when I would hope to start sending it out to agents or potentially go down the self-publishing route. I'm not quite sure which one I'm going to go for yet. There's pros and cons to both. Yeah, I want to ask lots of questions about that, but I also want to leave you with stuff to talk about (laughs) in your podcast. Um, So, yeah, no, but I think that's a really cool side of the journey to get into and for me it's kind of a long way away so we can you know people get to do it at the same time which is really (laughs) exciting yeah um that's great can't wait for your first episode which should be in a couple weeks time yeah um and uh then you'll get me after that and we'll and well in fact yours will be next week i guess because in terms of yeah 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 so you'll get me in a couple weeks time yeah great all right well Kirsten is not everything that I've been thinking about for the last two weeks because I'm not a creepy stalker, but (laughs) getting a second person into the podcast is something that I've been excited about for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'll be back in a fortnight. Kirsten will be back next week. In the meantime, I always love to hear from listeners about how they think the process is going. The place to leave questions or comments or just to keep up to date with the novel process is on the Scene socials or at the website, the-scene.net. Have a good one.